Ronananian. Now, I want to know what engineer in their right mind mounts something as delicate as a fuse box and fusible links on top of a device that spews acid. The Car Doctor. A check engine light only comes on if the vehicle is exceeding one and a half times the federal emissions level. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. I think the reason cars break, in a lot of cases, it's circumstance and situation. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls, solve your problems, answer your questions, whatever you might have on your mind regarding your automobile, your mechanic, and anything automotive related. There's information about this radio show on our website, cardoctorshow.com. If you want to, you can download podcasts right from there. I should point out, too, by the way, we received a couple of email requests and uh, more than a few conversationals uh, requests about Uncle Steve. They've been uh, People have been asking, hey, they want to hear the Uncle Steve interviews. I spoke to Tom Ray, our chief engineer, and uh, Tom has agreed that he is going to go back the last couple of years. We're going to make an Uncle Steve page on the cardoctorshow.com page. So you can go back, listen to the interviews, and we're going to provide a link there to his book, Ramrod to Munster, about his first combat mission in October of 1944 when uh, he was shot down. He's talked about that here live on the show on the Memorial Day editions. So we're going to look forward to that. That Give Tom some time, but we're going to try and get that up there in the next month or so so uh, you can go and reference that. But while you're at the website, if it's not about Uncle Steve or if you want to, don't, don't want to see anything about us, uh, if you go down on the left side of the page, you will see you will have access to TuneIn.com, which is the affiliate list for The Car Doctor. There's all sorts of ways to listen to this radio show that way. But you can also go over to iHeart or iTunes and subscribe, and it will be automatically delivered to your inbox. And I should also point out that if you want to stream this radio show, you can also you can stream it during live show hours, Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, or you can stream it any time, day or night. And uh, you can do that right from our website, cardoctorshow.com. I think cars break because of situation and circumstance. I've been thinking about this lately. I had a 2004 Nissan Xterra come into the shop at RA Automotive this week, and it was cut and dry repairs. It's not a repair of the week worthy conversation. It's not anything like that. The The issue with it was it had a check engine light on and a P0420, which is a cat efficiency code, and diagnosed it, and it's a bad catalytic converter. On a 2004 Xterra, there are two cats, and the one we were concerned with was the one that is monitored or the one that the the O2 sensors worry about is another way of saying it. Is that the one in the exhaust manifold? So that had to be changed. Well, by the time you get done with that, it's a, it's a catalytic converter. You're going to use the one from the dealer because they're the ones that are going to work. And a couple of O2 sensors, you're going to spend $1,500 in parts, every bit of $500 in labor because of all the rust and bolts and tapping and threading. And <laughs> it was like building a model. And I got done with it. Decided I wanted to run the monitors, as I usually like to do when I finish an emissions repair. So I went out to run the monitors because I was planning to inspect the vehicle. And during the course of road testing, getting monitors to run, it set a pending fault code in the evaporative emission system, P0442, small leak. Hmm, look at that. 
Why is it doing that? Then I thought about it. I said, well, let's see. It came in on an empty gas tank. It came in. The the yellow warning light was on and the gauge was on A because the person doesn't like to put fuel in it. And I said, you know, I put gas in it because obviously I don't want to get stuck on the road. I filled it up halfway. And I thought maybe because now the monitor is going to run because keep in mind, if you're a regular listener, you know you've heard me say that evaporative emissions monitors won't run on the majority of cars between when it's less than a quarter or more than three-quarters of a tank. It has to be between the three-quarter, one-quarter mark. But then I thought about it, and I said, no, that's not the case. It just had to be the situation on how she's driving, where she's driving, and not taking the right type of trips to actually allow the EVAP monitor to run. I never got the code to set. It came up as pending. I did a little research, diagnosed it, and the gas tank was bad. The fuel tank rusted away around the top where the sending unit sits. And it's a really poor design. It really is. If you look at it, the way Nissan designed this, the area where the fuel tank, where the fuel pump sits into the fuel tank, that that unit area is recessed. So it goes down and it forms a little metal well in the top of the tank, which is really great when you think about it. You're driving down the road at 55, 60 miles an hour in rain, snow, slush. All the water gets up on top of the tank. And it falls into the well, which is a recess, and it lays there. So it's a situation and a circumstance failure. It's the way the engineer designed it. And I, I, I this is one of those moments where I say, why didn't they just make it so that the it went the other way <laughs> instead of a, a, a and you know going in instead of an innie, it was an Audi. It was like your belly button. If it was an Audi, all the water wouldn't collect there and it wouldn't rust out. But maybe Nissan likes selling gas tanks. I understand they had recalls for these, but this one fell out of the guidelines of it. So it needed a fuel tank, which is a difficult conversation to have because you've just explained to the customer that, you know, you've got a catalytic converter fault, and now they get it. Now they, and they understood, and they were, they were great about it. They really were. Um, they realized that it was just something that was there. But that wasn't enough for me. I had to go back and dig a little bit. I went back and I started reading through their file. About seven months ago, the vehicle came in one time for a check engine light, scanned it, P0442, small leak. Now you're faced with an issue here as a mechanic. The gas tank at that time, the fuel cap, I'm sorry, the gas cap at that time wasn't on properly. It didn't seat right. So... I screwed the cap on right. They had just purchased gas. They had put gas in it that day. Do I recommend a diagnosis? Do I go through a $156 chart to smoke a system and go through the usual suspects and look for an EVAP leak that may not be there? Or do I allow the vehicle to go back out and be driven? And if it is at fault, if they're driving under normal conditions, normal circumstance, that light will come back on. I opted for that because I thought it would help save them money. You know, that vehicle ran from early April through October with no repeat, no failure, no repetitive check engine light until it set the cat fault. And then after the cat fault, the conditions were right. It finally ran the EVAP monitor. And wouldn't you know it happened when I was driving it? And it started to tell me a pending 442 and it came up again. Sometimes it really is all about circumstance and situations. And when you look at it, if that engineer had only made it an Audi instead of an Innie, that Nissan repair sure would have gone a whole lot smoother. Something to think about.
Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy in the car doctor here, 855-560-9900. Some weeks at the shop, you just say to yourself, how did I get into this situation? I started out wanting to work on cars, and now it just it just snowballs downhill. And um, that's part of auto repair. It goes at the territory. It's like my friend Tim says, you know, um, you know, getting bruised is part of the job. Getting hit in the head is part of the job. Um, having an additional problem is part of the job. Chicks dig scars, Band-Aids, and bruises. And um, Tim's always right. And uh, usually says the part about getting hit in the head after working with me. And that's a story for another day. I'll tell you that story someday. But um, right now, let's pull over. Let's take a pause. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anning, the car doctor. We'll be back to open the garage doors right after this. Welcome back. Ron Nini and the Car Doctor. By the way, stick around because down around the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking to the folks from Power Frame Batteries, talking a little bit about some of the expected battery technology. Well, not the expected, but battery technology as it's improved over time. We're going to talk about Power Frame grid technology, but also a little bit of common sense on picking a battery for this coming winter as um, as we go forward. And um, it is getting colder out. So uh, I was looking at Big Tony when he came in today from the train, and Tony was wearing his hat, his galoshes, his overcoat, his scarf. I almost didn't recognize him, except for the fact that he had the Giants beanie on. And um, he was like all pro. The Giants finally won a game. Way to go, Tony. Okay, let's get over and talk to Greg, Greenwich, New York, 2011 Subaru, and some uh, issues with noise. Greg, welcome to the car doctor. Sir, you're on at 855-560-9900. How can I help? Hey, Ron, uh, good show and long-time listener. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I have a, the, the 11 the Forester. I've had issues when I bought it at around 9,000 miles. And not really issues, but just on startup on a cold morning or any morning after it sits all night, it, uh, it, it has a noise almost like it's dry. It's not getting any oil pressure. And my neighbor of mine did a uh, all-data scan, and he says, oh, yeah, that's coming up as a, the left-hand tensioner needs to be changed out, something to do with it's not getting lubricated, right. which is great, but I said, I brought it over to Bennington, Vermont, uh, Subaru, and Glens Falls, and in Saratoga, all three dealerships say, oh, that's fine, that's normal, and I'm worried about having this motor die on me and, and get ruined, you know. Yeah, let me let me ask you this, Greg, when when you look at this, or when they when they look at this and you talk to them, do you bring up the bulletin? Do you have conversation? Because you're right, there's there's actually two bulletins. There's there's one that talks about, and it's bulletin number. Uh, you got a pencil handy? Let me ask you that real quick. Um, uh, actually, I don't. Okay, actually, I don't. Um, try and grab one while we're talking. But if you get to bulletin 02-117-11R, and if you download the podcast of this radio show from CarDoctorShow.com, if you go to uh, 20 after in the second hour, you can uh, hear me give that number again. It's 02-117-11R. There's issues with the pivot and the rocker arm um, that are creating noises. And, yeah, it's it's non-detrimental, as the bulletin says, as I recall. But um, it is kind of unsettling, and it doesn't sound right. It sounds like a rattly, clanky old pile of bolts, and I can't imagine why anybody would want their engines to sound like that so that you could go back in the next year and say, hey, I want to buy another Subaru. I enjoy listening to the noise. Um, so that's one bulletin. The other bulletin is 10-07-11. That's more common, and that's the one that deals with the timing chain tensioner. That one also says this is non-detrimental, which really boggles my mind. They've come out with two bulletins that say, hey, it's not a problem, but just in case you want to spend money and fix it, here's the repair. 
Uh, you know, it, it's to me, it's a mark on the company. It's what Subaru has become in recent times that um, they've lost some of their edge for trying to make people happy. And I realize there's a ton of just loyal Subaru owners out there that just kind of follow them along. But you know what? It's time to wake up and stop drinking the Kool-Aid because, uh, to me, this is something they should repair. It's 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 an obnoxious noise, right, Greg? I mean, it bothers you. Exactly. I mean, other than the startup and then it gets oil pressure, it's fine. It's quiet as a mouse. And, right. you know, other than that, it works great, drives good, other than... You know, when you don't put studded snows on it, like I found out. I, I, I would I would find an independent Subaru tech. You know, there are guys out there that just specialize in Subaru, uh, you know, or even a good quality independent shop that can deal with this particular repair that's got whatever tools they might need and scan tool support and so forth, and just let them fix it. Pay somebody to fix it and move on. Because what Subaru doesn't realize, what any what every manufacturer doesn't realize, you like this car, don't you, Greg? Yes, I do. Yeah. But, but this noise is bothersome, and... This noise puts you one brick away from going, what am I driving this thing for, if anything else goes wrong with it? Because in the back of your mind, subconsciously, you're thinking, maybe this isn't such a great car. Now, if, if, if something happens, if the engine were to fail and it was somehow related to all this, you'd be over the edge. And, and, and that's yeah. bad. And it would prevent you from buying another one. Car companies need to wake up and realize that the buying experience doesn't stop when the warranty expires. All right, sir? Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Good luck to you. Let me know if I can do anything else. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's crazy. They just, you know, well, warranty's up. That's it. Call us back when you want to write another check, though. We'll be glad to try and take care of you. Let's go over and talk to Stanley, Ridgewood, New Jersey, 93 Cadillac Fleetwood, and some exhaust noises. Stanley, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help you at 855-560-9900? Yes, sir. I have a 93 Caddy, which I like very much. I've had it since it was brand new. And in the last uh, few months, I've uh, heard and smelled uh, exhaust, and I brought it up to uh, a place where I I respect his work. I've uh, been there before, and he's made several unsuccessful tries uh, to get the the, um, the leak to stop. It's apparently way up front in the car, okay. and uh, he's made several attempts, and I had to each time bring it back because we're still hearing a, a slight roar from the front, and also we're smelling it. And I think he's at the end and doesn't know what to do. All right, let me ask you, Stanley, is this front wheel or rear wheel drive? It's rear wheel. This is rear wheel. So this is the, is this a 5 liter, or is this the, um, is this one of the um, HT motors? Which engine is in this? It's probably the the former. The former, the the, uh, the 5 liter. Yes. Right, yeah, 93. I'm trying to remember back to 93. So this is a 307 Olds motor. This is the Y motor, and it's probably a leak at the manifold where the manifold comes together. Is he having issues with getting access to things because bolts are rusty and in the way, or is it a matter of parts, or is it a matter of is he on a budget? Are you just saying to him, hey, fix my car, I don't care what it costs? Or I'm saying, hey, hey fix my car, and yes, it's it doesn't matter what it costs. It's what, do whatever has to be done to get it fixed. Okay. But yeah. I like the car, and I enjoy driving the car. And um, yes, so that. But he uh, uh, he has mentioned that it's a manifold problem. Right. And uh, I, I'm going to guess that what you analyze is probably correct. Right. And is it is it is it that he can't get parts for it? I wonder. Um, I haven't said. Right. I haven't heard that. How long have you been going to this guy? Sounds like you got a relationship with him. Correct. Yeah. 
Um, it, 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 it's time for that cup of coffee conversation. You know, you know, if, if you're a regular listener, you've heard me say that it's time to go in and, you know, say, listen, I've been coming here a while. I realize it's a tough problem. Um, sometimes, and, and I'll fall into this trap myself, you know, as mechanics, we're still human beings. We fall into the trap of, that's ah, an old car. He doesn't want to spend any money. Sometimes a mechanic needs to be taken by the hand and look straight in the eye. And you do this with somebody you got the relationship with. Um, you know what? But it's, it's a little more complicated than that because, unfortunately, the man who used to work on my car all the time passed away. Okay. But, and it seems that uh, finding another person in the shop who's familiar with this and knows what to do, I, I think, may be part of the problem. Well, and then in that case, it sounds like this may not be the shop anymore. I can't, you know, what boggles my mind, if the shop does that kind of work and you walk in and say, listen, I'm not opposed to spending money on this. Tell me what it's going to take to do. And they say, we can't fix it. It's not worth fixing. First of all, it's not worth fixing is not their judgment. Unless the car is, there's extenuating circumstances, there's other things amiss, there are other issues. If you're willing to pay the freight and the car, you know, not I'm not going to say justifies, but it's in good enough condition that other things aren't going to break as a result of trying to fix the first thing, I think it's a matter of fix it. I don't see what the big deal is. I'd have, like I said, I'd have a cup of coffee conversation with the owner and say, listen, before I take it and my business somewhere else, what's it going to take to get this done? I don't want to leave here. You've been How far McKinney. is Ridgewood from Walgreens? Uh, Ten minutes. And I'm not looking. And I'm not looking for that, Stanley. I'm really not. I'm I'm trying to get this guy to look at it. I'm trying to maintain your relationship with him. I've never, in all my years on radio, you know, really tried to do that and don't think anything different. But I would just have a real candid conversation with him, and just explain. You know what? Do you want to work on this or don't you? What's the issue? Now, if the engine has to come out of the car and he doesn't want to do that, he's got to tell you that. Not a lot of shops pull engines anymore, and that's, that could be part of the problem, too. It could be that the bolts are stuck in the exhaust manifold, and they're not going to come out, and they have to be drilled out of the heads, and then that becomes an issue. But there's got to be a logical, clear-cut decision here as to why it can't get fixed, because spending money to go nowhere uh, makes about as much sense as the government sometimes. Stanley, good luck to you, and if you need more help, you know where to find us, 855-560-9900. Questions about batteries, Batteries 101, coming up next. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. Don't go anywhere. Hey, hey, listeners, welcome back. Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. You know, this time of year, Everybody's thinking with fall here and winter approaching, it's battery time. It's time to look the car over, the truck over, and make sure it's ready for winter and uh, the cold weather ahead. And we thought to bring out some of the finer points and some of the optimal things you need to know regarding your vehicle's battery. We've turned to the best. Michael Holson. Michael is the manager of field sales for Power Solutions, and we're glad to have him here with us today. Michael, welcome aboard, sir. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on. Um, batteries. You know, let's get this out in the open. There's two questions I want to ask you right off the top of my head. Are batteries really a fall-winter concern, or is it more of a year-round event now? Uh, it really has become a year-round event. And if you look at how cars have, have developed over the last 10 years, 
becoming more electrical demanding. We have more sophisticated you know, computer management systems. We have more accessory loads on cars than we have ever had before. So all that demand has, has put more and more stress on the battery. So, you know, when we look at a battery and we think what makes a battery tick, for lack of a better word, to, to, to put it, um, it's the grid, right? So why is the grid in the battery so gosh darn important? I think the listeners need to hear this again. Well, in particular, the positive grid, and, you know, if you think of it, that's really the backbone of a battery. Uh, you know, that's where you're, you know, the positive grid is, is the delivery system for electrical energy, but it's also extremely essential for the recovery of the battery after it, it discharges. So uh, a good design and a, and a good manufacturing process is going to, you know, make that battery better. So the positive grid gets compromised by corrosion, and you know, that's one of the leading uh, causes of battery failure. And corrosion comes from a couple of different sources. It comes from repetitive cycling. We talked about the high electrical demanding platforms. So that battery constantly going in a, in a uh, discharge, recharge cycle. And then you have uh, heat. Heat's a, a catalyst, and it, it accelerates the corrosion process. And heat comes, again, from the charging cycle, but it also you can take into account the ambient temperature that's under the hood. So power frame technology is designed to address these stress points, and it gives you up to 66% more corrosion resistant than other grid designs. Now, two questions. How long has power frame grid technology been available in consumer batteries? And the, the, the second part of that question is, I used to think, and I'm learning to say that a lot in my career, I used to think that the way to do things were this, and that when you, when you purchase a battery, buy the biggest battery electrically you can find. Is that still a true statement also? You can answer them in either order. Well, uh, I'll answer your first question. And it was, you know, you know power frame has actually uh, been around for over 15 years, uh, and it was developed in, through field testing using taxicab fleets in Las Vegas, which you can imagine is some of the harshest, harshest uh, driving conditions, and it accelerated, uh, you know, the, the real life of, of the life of a battery. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, you know, you know, the days of uh, picking a battery by cold cranking amps, if you think about, you know, back 20, 30 years ago when we actually had to crank a car and you would, you know, the ignition had to work for 10, 15 seconds before the car would start. Now ignition systems are so efficient that it's, it's a flick of the wrist or a push of the button and there's not as much demand on the starting, but now it has to do with how well that battery lasts in these repetitive uh, cycling applications. Sure. I mean, look at start-stop technology now, right? The car starts in the blink of an eye sitting at a traffic light or a stop sign, and the, the battery has no, no real load on it compared to something 30 years ago because of, of, of the way the vehicles are today. So, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. So uh, vibration is still an issue, though, right? I mean, let's talk about that, the effects vibration has on a battery. Does how does or does power frame grid technology help prevent the bad part of vibration? Bad vibrations, the Beach Boys sure. would be upset. Well, you know, you know, we can you know equate vibration to hitting potholes, and I'm sure we've all hit our, our share of those while we're driving, and that impact will have a you know, detrimental effect on the battery. And one that some of the active material we call paste on the grid will shed off, and enough of that uh, will impact the capacity and the life of the battery. But also, we talked earlier about the corrosion of the grids, and what that corrosion does, it weakens the structure, and vibration can then fracture some of these, these areas of the grid that show signs of fatigue. 
And if that happens, that can lead to short circuits in the battery, and it also diminishes the capacity of the battery. So the manufacturing process of power frame is basically taking a, a you know, bar of lead, rolling and compressing that lead composite to a precise thickness, and, and that density of that, that material then will you know, resist corrosion and metal fatigue. But also, you know, where the power frame comes from, it has a reinforced frame around the grid itself, and that protects the frame from warping, and that also leads to short circuits. So basically, power frame grid technology is that better mousetrap that everybody's looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask you this, something we don't talk about a lot here on The Car Doctor. Power frame manufacturing, the way they make power frame grid technology, if I can say it that way, but power frame manufacturing plants, I understand operate and produce 20% fewer greenhouse gases? That's correct. So if you look at the, you know, the conventional uh, you know, ma- way of making grids was uh, casting. So that grid casting uh, required to melt lead down and pour that, that molten lead into, into molds. Well, that process of melting lead contributes to the releasing of gases into the environment. So when I talked earlier about the power frame rolling out lead into a strip, and then it gets stamped, and all that material that gets punched out is then recycled. So there's no, uh, no you know, gases that are coming from uh, melting down the lead, and all the waste is recycled. So uh, it, you know, it eliminates 20% of greenhouse gases during the manufacturing process. Wow. Sounds like a win-win on all sides uh, between the technology and the way they're made. It's good for the environment, and it's good for the vehicle, and it's good for the consumer. You can't complain about that. Um, how do the consumers determine what has power frame grid technology and, and doesn't? What brand aftermarket batteries use it? Well, currently, uh, power frame is, is found in batteries sold by Advanced Auto Parts in their CarQuest uh, locations. So all you have to do is look for that power frame logo on the label, and at Advanced Auto Parts stores, you can find that in their gold and platinum line of batteries, and at CarQuest in their silver, gold, and platinum. Okay, cool. Um, Listen, neat stuff. I I think uh, it's got to be comforting for people to know they have alternatives, and there are ways to improve on their next battery purchase by uh, what they can buy. They can buy into the better technology now. So, yeah, if uh, you want to find a retailer near you, just go to powerframe.com, and you can search for the closest location. Right, yeah, that was my next question, is um, is there a place the listeners can go? Say that again. Give that to me again one more time, Mike. powerframe.com. Okay. And, and there's a, a, a search function for finding the nearest retailer. Cool beans. Hey, Mike Halsam, we appreciate you taking the time today and uh, helping inform the listenership. And we'll have you on again real soon. You take good care. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. I'm Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor, and we are back right after this. back running in the car doctor hitting it hard and getting through the hour join me as we continue this trip together talking about your automobile here at 855-560-9900 next up is robbie from valhalla new york with some questions and comments robbie welcome to the car doctor how can i help how you doing all right how are you so uh not bad i don't know 
rainy sun Saturday. Yeah, sure. So um, <clears throat> I sent in an email, and I've got a couple two-part question. Um, I have a number of personal vehicles, and then I've also got company vehicles as well. And what I'm really looking forward for is a scan tool okay. that will suffice majority of my needs for majority of the vehicle. Right. And Go ahead. It, the cars range, you know, across the board from high end to regular, you know, work right. trucks. Right. And that's and that's why I wanted to talk to you. I've got your email in front of me, Robbie, just so just so we're all on the same page. Um, it, it's quite a list. The family vehicles are, you know, 2006 BMW, 2011 Mini Cooper, 2011 Range Rover, 2010 Toyota, 2010 Mercedes, 72 Charger, 55 Ford, 72 Mercedes, uh, business vehicles, Ford trucks, Dodge trucks, Nissan, and a Volkswagen. Oh, you got one of those Volkswagen TDIs. Yeah, good luck. Good, good, good luck with that, my friend. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah. Still gets forty miles to the gallon, though. Yeah, you know, either that, or they've got the speedometer doctored, and you don't know the difference. That'll be the next thing that You're comes out. That. That's yeah. You know, that'll be it. That'll be it. Um, the scan tool I had in mind because I wanted to talk about this. I thought it was a good conversation. You know, you have that eclectic collection of vehicles. It's it's easy for a scan tool manufacturer to come up with something that'll work on the Ford, the GM, the Chrysler. That doesn't impress me. It's you need the scan tool that'll do the BMW, the Mini Cooper, the Range Rover, the Mercedes. Those are the tough ones here. All right. Right. And without breaking the bank and spending, you know, upwards of ten to twelve thousand dollars, which is probably out of the question, I'm kinda of thinking. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, make, I wouldn't absolutely. make. I wouldn't make you spend that much money anyway, because I want you to go out and buy another car. I want to see how big we can get the fleet up to in the next year or two. I think it's interesting the way this is growing. Um, <laughs> We're uh, trying. Yeah, Beyonce may not like it. <laughs> I can tell. I'd like to see the size of your garage. Um, you know, I'm thinking you want to go to launchtechusa.com and look at the launch scan tools, specifically the CRP229, Android based touchscreen. All right, good solid tool. It'll pull codes. It'll give you data stream. They've got great tech support. It's if memory serves me correct, and I I tend to get a little confused on pricing, so don't hold me to this. I think it's in the four to six hundred dollar range. It might be a little less. It might be a little more, but it's definitely well under a grand from my from what I remember uh, when I read about it. And I actually have one in the shop I use as a door tool now. Uh, you know. It's. It also does some of the other things that a lot of the other scan tools won't do. Oil light resets. It'll do steering angle resets because I'm also thinking maybe somewhere down in the future you're going to have need for some of that stuff. So, and the way launch works, they're always making improvements and changes. Their software updates, I find, are second to none. The tool does it by itself. It's logging in and bang, away it goes. So take a look at Launch Tech USA Give them a call. You know, the only complaint I have about Launch Tech is some of their English is pigeon English, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, you you okay. know, it's it's just it's kind of written funny, and it catches your head, and you go, huh? Um, but I'll tell you what, I can overlook that. That's like 1% out of it. it, it the 99 percentile, the 99.9 percentile of the launch tools, and it doesn't affect how they work. They just flat-out work. So definitely worth looking at.
What's the second part of your question? Now, and that's, when, and, and, when and that's, just going to the skin tool, um, when you say it's Android-based, does that mean I need to have an Android-based nope. Nope, that's just phone, the, or? no. That's just the operating system. This is a complete self. Okay. This is a complete self-contained unit. And if memory serves me correct, the CRP two twenty nine from launch will have the BMW and the Mercedes connector. If not, verify that with them. What does it take to get, and what's the additional cost? And tell them what you've got. Tell them your list. What would they recommend? And they'll be very glad. You know, I'll say this: they are a very proud company. They're always glad to help their customers, and they're always glad to make recommendations. You'll find more at LaunchTechUSA.com. Second part to the question. Okay. So I have the 72 Charger. It's got a 440 in it. Right. It's not It's not very well worked on. It's probably taken out of an RV or a truck or something, and somebody put it in this really beautiful, beautifully restored you know, 72 Charger. Right. And I've got it down at a shop not too far from where you are in Boonton. And it just seems as though someone's fishing for something. You know, I've had it there for almost two months, a little over two months now. And and I went to pick it up two weeks ago, and it it was having trouble when they were pulling out of the garage, when they were, you know, it was having trouble idling. Right. And it was like uh, almost like a miss or it was flooding or, you know, it was more flooding because I could smell the, the fuel right. the tailpipe at I'll the t- end of the car. I'll tell you what, Robbie, hold that thought because I'm going to be tight against the clock. I don't want to rush this. Let me pull over, take this pause, stay right where you are. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Back, running in the car, doctor. Let's get right back to our call, Ravi from Valhalla, New York. Ravi, you're still there, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, if you could finish that, and then let me get to an answer before the clock takes us. Go ahead. So the the charger, um, and it, it seems like it was flooding, flooding fuel. Long story short, they they're telling me that they've replaced the fuel pump multiple times. Okay. With a with a new pump that obviously new is never ever worked that's right right. yep so um so they've replaced it four times now and now he's telling me that it might be a fuel regulator as well well and from i have a couple you know the other cars that have carburetors on them none of them have fuel regulators on them. yeah why would you need a regulator on this car i i have no idea i think he's you know it's it seems like someone's just fishing or they don't know or they did something that they actually messed up whatever was actually working because it didn't have any of these problems before. Right. Well, <laughs> and I, you I, know, I could, I could buy that, you know, dirt in the system is causing the needle to flood and, you know, causing the carb to drip and, and creating a flooding out issue. And I guess what he's thinking is high fuel pressure is pushing the needle off its seat. But then what type of a fuel pump is he putting in it? That doesn't make any sense to me. Listen, Older car, you got to go back to basics. And what I would probably do is the fact that the car sat a couple of months and maybe it sat a little bit before you gave it to them. How clean is the fuel? Is there contaminant in the fuel? And then work your way forward. If the fuel system is clean, if the fuel sample is clean, 
and he's having problems getting the pumps. There's good pumps out there. You've got to find them, good good manufacturers. To go through four pumps and have the same repetitive problem, uh, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, I think it's something like that. I think that's insane. So I would sit down and have the conversation with him, and if you have to, pay him what you owe him, get it out of there, and get it to somebody that can diagnose it and repair it because it sounds like this guy's going down the wrong path. I'm Ron Aney in the car doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya!